giant. The giant has got the referee. Look at the size of this man. Oh, do I remember this. Oh, my goodness. Oh, look at the size of him. The largest man I've ever seen. Look at the agility. Wait till Hogan sees this man. Look out. The giant has Hulk Hogan. I've seen that before. Turn him around so you can look at him eye to eye. Hogan down, Amy. No effect, nothing. Ring the bell again, nothing. The Giant all alone with Hulk Hogan. You know what this means, Tony? You know what this means? It means Hulkamania, nothing. Giants won. The fans are chanting for Hogan. Not a comeback, I don't know if it's... Oh, he went on screwed his head like a bottle of cheap whiskey. Bischoff is excited, and I'm excited too because you have joined us where the big boys play. You've joined us here at 20 Years of Nitro. I'm your host through this journey through WCW's heyday in the 90s with their flagship show, Monday Nitro, Tim Root. And I'm joined, as always, by Dave Amantorp. Dave, how are you doing this week? I'm doing good. Fall Brawl 95 was last night. I can't wait to hear all the action, all the fallout from that. It certainly was uh, last night because today is September 18th, 1995, and we are ready to follow up with all the action from last night's Fall Brawl. I'm going to run through those pay-per-view results real quick, uh, which is what I'm going to do every episode of 20 Years of Nitro when we're following a pay-per-view So I'm just going to go through them. If there's anything uh, important to note, I'll try to hit that. But generally, we're just going to list the results and and kind of move on. Our focus here on the show is Monday Nitro. In the pay-per-view, Johnny B. Bad defeated Brian Pillman. Um, I did want to note that match because I've actually watched this pay-per-view kind of a while ago. It wasn't just uh, I I didn't watch it in preparation for this. But that match is really good. And it's about a half hour long. They really gave it a lot of time. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know what happens with... Johnny B. Bad, a.k.a. Mark Mero, when he goes to WWF. Because Mark Mero sucks, but Johnny B. Bad's kind of <laughs> awesome. So I don't know what the deal with that is. Apparently over tanning and trying to act like he's a, a little Richard, like, black guy, somehow that makes him a good wrestler. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, in other pay-per-view results, Sergeant Craig P- Pittman defeated Cobra. Diamond Dallas Page defeated Renegade for the television title. Harlem Heat defeated Bunkhouse Buck and Dirty Dick Slater to get the tag team titles. Arn Anderson defeated Ric Flair with Brian Pillman's interference. So that was really the culmination of Brian Pillman's heel turn was to come out and attack Flair and help uh, Arn win that match. And of course, the Hulkamaniacs, Hulk Hogan, Randy Savage, Sting, and Lex Luger defeated the Dungeon of Doom, uh, which was made up of Zodiac, the Shark, Kamala, and Meng. At that point, Hogan got to get uh, his, like, two or five minutes or whatever it was going to be with the Taskmaster. So he's in the cage beating up the Taskmaster. The Hulkamaniacs have left for some reason, except for Hulk. 
So none of them are there when the giant makes his way to ringside, as you heard in our clip to open the show. The giant comes down into the cage, uh, really um, shows off some tremendous agility for such a huge guy. He hops over the top rope sort of by grabbing onto the top of the cage and lifting himself over the rope. Then he hops over the top rope of each of the two rings because he needs to get into the far ring. Mm -hmm. So he hops over two more top ropes, uh, and then he grabs Hogan in a chokehold, and Taskmaster at this point tells the giant to kind of finish Hogan off, and he twists Hogan's neck as if, like, in an action movie, he's breaking his neck. So they are going <laughs> all in with uh, this attack. He, They really sell it like he has killed Hulk Hogan, quite literally, right. uh, at Fall Brawl. So that's how we left the show. That's what we have coming into tonight's Monday Nitro. Mm-hmm. Uh, the intro I noticed for the show still has Vader in it. So that's uh, three weeks in. He's gone from the company, <laughs> but he is still one of the four people shown in their opening segment. Uh, so coming uh, right into the show, hot Bischoff is screaming at us. Uh, yeah, he is <laughs> about the show. You think he's angry about something? Yeah, then. and he doesn't mention uh, where we are this week, but we are in Johnson City, Tennessee, at Freedom Hall. This is one of the uh, biggest venues that Smoky Mountain Wrestling, uh, Jim Cornette's promotion in the mid '90s. Yeah. This is kind of their biggest uh, hall that they would play in. Uh, there was about two thousand paid attendants for a seventeen thousand dollar gate. And another 1,200 comps, so about 3,200. Not a sellout, even with the comps, and that kind of shows. If you look in the upper deck, there's a few empty seats, but not not terrible. It doesn't look horrible on television or anything. Uh, so we come in, Bischoff, as we said, is hot, and pretty much right away, before he has a chance to tell us anything major, uh, he says that there's an emergency in the back, and we can hear a siren, which is confusing, because how could we hear the siren from the announcer's desk when that's supposedly way in the back, but... We cut, uh, and Mean Gene must have known that siren was coming because he is actually <laughs> impeding its progress. He's standing directly in the path of it. Uh, I guess his his desire for the scoop, being the true journalist that Mean Gene is, is more important than whatever's going on. And he implies by saying that Hogan was taken away in an ambulance the night before, he's sort of implying, I feel like, to the audience that the ambulance from the night before took Hogan from that other arena wherever that was, I think in Nashville, yeah. uh, that they took Hogan and then drove around with the siren on all night, and then they just brought him to Monday Nitro with the siren still going, <laughs> rather than ever stopping at a hospital to get Hogan the treatment for the broken neck that he suffered. <laughs> right. But instead, alas, it is not Hogan inside that ambulance. It is, in fact, the Taskmaster, Kevin Sullivan, along with the Giant. And they come out, uh, me and Gene immediately wants a word with them, Taskmaster uh, really does, doesn't want to talk. He says, ask the one true immortal. And we get a, uh, a giant promo that really shows the gimmick that he's doing at the time, which is this real intense sort of crazy whispering, yelling. Taskmaster Kevin Sullivan and the big giant. What's the meaning of that? Ask the only true immortal. All right, I'm going to ask the big giant. Hogan, I've been thinking about what it felt like for you to ride in the back of one of those. Hogan, for three times now, one, two, three, I put my hands around your neck, and you've melted like putty in my hands. You are not the one true immortal. I am the one true immortal. <laughs> this is like deja vu, by the way. I should point out for the record mm. last night. What, what do you think of uh, the Giants' persona at this point in time? I ha looking back, I have a real big. I I didn't understand exactly what they're trying to do with the giant. Yeah. Uh, 
He he had debuted. Uh, he made it like a cameo, like at Bash of the Beach '95. Okay, and so that was in July. Right. He still hasn't wrestled yet. Right. He's he looks like, I mean, by all appearances, like he's the one that can beat Hulk Hogan once and for all. But then he will go like a month, and he won't show up on Nitro. Yeah. They won't mention him on Nitro. Right. He hasn't wrestled a match yet. I I just didn't. I mean. If you were watching last night, mm-hmm. Fall Brawl, the way that played out, if he had just debuted then, I, I think like the whole approach to when he eventually faces Hogan would make more sense. But like, it, it, it's like such an off and on thing, and like the Dungeon of Doom interferes like every other match, right? But he doesn't come down. Presumably, now, do you think that the real life explanation for that is that he's off? training to be a wrestler somewhere so he only makes some dates and the rest of the dates he's off honing his craft because he's i mean he really he had no training prior to coming into wcw Mm -hmm. just to give a little background i like to talk about these guys when they make their first appearance on the podcast uh paul white he's a near seven foot tall wrestler from south carolina uh he was uh he met Danny Bonaducci from the partridge family that's right um (laughs) at a karaoke contest I don't know if he was bouncing or what, but he met Danny Bonaducci. They kind of became friends, and Danny Bonaducci invited him to sort of a celebrity basketball game that was promoting um, a local a WCW coming to town for a show. So he ended up playing basketball in this game, uh, and Hogan was either in the game or there. I wasn't really clear on that. With his knees, I doubt he was actually playing basketball. But Hogan was really impressed by the way that giant uh, that Paul White was playing to the crowd during this basketball game. So Danny Bonaducci made the introduction and Hogan recommended Paul White to WCW officials and uh, they snatched him up. And kind of interestingly, he had made a couple overtures himself to try to get into WWF prior to this, including one time where Pat Patterson uh, didn't even watch a tape that he had sent in of him. And the reason that Patterson would give later is that he thought it was a tape of another seven-footer who was uh, around at the time who later would go on to be Kurgan. Oh, So he had already seen some Kurgan work. He didn't really want to see more, so he failed to even watch this tape. And <laughs> WWF missed out on the Paul White uh, gravy train. So instead, he winds up here in WCW debuting as a part of the Dungeon of Doom and making, as you said, sporadic appearances. That That is by far one of the best wrestler origin stories i think i've ever heard <laughs> just a string of really weird circumstances yeah random kind of coincidences yeah you would think it'd be easier for a guy who's almost seven feet tall 350 400 pounds to get into wrestling especially since would he be... wanted to and especially since vince mcmahon if he sees a guy like that at the supermarket he can't stop himself from writing the guy yeah. a check you know what i mean <laughs> if he saw him at the supermarket he would take him home <laughs> So, uh, Paul White, yeah, he, he's in there. He's making sporadic appearances. They're also doing a gimmick um, that I they don't explicitly state it, but they come very, very close to. They basically imply heavily that he is the son of Andre the Giant. Yes. Uh, they He throws one of Andre's shirts at Hogan mm-hmm. in a promo once. They always talk about how his father would be ashamed of him. He wears the Andre tights yeah. and uh, Heenan will say like, I've seen those tights before. Yeah. So they really want you to think that he's Andre's son, which is gross because yeah. Andre is like three or four years dead at this point. It's still pretty fresh. Plus 
I mean, look at Paul White. Look at the Giant. Right. He doesn't need that to sell. The, right. He. It, it's not like if he's associated with Andre, then he's a big guy. He already is a big guy. He. The fact that he. That I, I think it would have worked even better if he had like unknown origins. Right. Not that he was like, well, my dad was big, so I'm big. I mean, it comes down to Hogan trying to replicate all the things that had worked for him before in WWF. Yeah. Now these in WCW. He's really just trying to break out all the hits mm-hmm. and hoping that one of them reconnects in the way that it did before. Mm-hmm. Because it's it's clear um, that the WCW audience, there are people that cheer him like they always did, but there's also people that they like flair and they want Hogan to fuck the fuck off, you know? Yeah. And it really kind of depends on where in the country they are. If they're in the deep south, they don't want to hear about Hogan or right. see Hogan. Mm-hmm. And uh, it seems like he's grasping at straws and trying to recreate the magic and we'll see that going pretty much right up until uh, Bash at the Beach 96. And I think we all know what happens there. The Giant, uh, during his promo, it's it's really clear that he's still really green. And not just in wrestling, but in interviews. He He's really demonstrative with his hands. He talk, When he says, I've been thinking, he uses both uh, pointer fingers to point at his head. And when he talks about Hogan riding in an ambulance, he point he turns and points with both hands at the ambulance. Yeah. When he says three, he actually counts using his fingers one, two, three. Uh, so everything has to involve his hands. He's like Ricky Bobby. He doesn't know what to do with his hands when he talks. <laughs> um, nice. But it is fun to watch him count one, two, three because his fingers are fucking sausages. Yeah. And he's comparatively for the way that you know he looks now, he's really skinny at this point. Mm-hmm. So to see how giant those fingers are, it's an it's crazy. Yeah. I don't know where that man buys his rings. They've got to be like necklaces that he just puts around a finger instead yeah, or he, a bracelet at least. And, and that was like, that was one of the things that definitely through WCW when he's there is that he's big, but he's a great athlete. Right. That he, um, I know at some point he could like, he could kip up too. He could do a yeah. kip up. Uh, he does uh, one or two times in matches I've seen. He usually holds the bottom rope when he does it. But yeah. it's still amazing to see. Mm-hmm. Um, he also, they always say in training, he would like be working on moonsaults and shit. And they would have to be like, you're, A, you're going to destroy your body. And right. B, there's no reason for you to do those kind of moves. And no one's going to stay underneath no, that. No one's going to want to take a moonsault from <laughs> no, you. No, no. Um, but it's amazing that he could do those things. Yeah. And people that always complain about big show matches being slow and plodding don't seem to realize that that's his place, that his size sort of dictates that he wrestles mm-hmm. that style. And maybe now in 2015, his body dictates that as well. But he, you know, maybe he was green at this point, and it's not like he was a great technical wrestler, but he was certainly capable of more uh, than he ever really got to show, yeah. I think. Mm-hmm. So this is a jam-packed show, and we are to the ring right away for the American Males. Uh, Scotty Riggs and Buff Bagwell they're young, good-looking dudes in a very generic babyface team. Yeah, they're kind of dressed like Chip and Dale's, but they're they're babyfaces, um, I guess, to play up to women. But you feel like because wrestling audiences are mostly men, that they should be heels because when a guy's gimmick is he's really good-looking and well, and his body's great, yeah. that usually like makes men not <laughs> like them, right? And and at this point, he's actually Marcus Alexander Bagwell. Oh, thank you, thank instead you. Instead of Buff Bagwell, that's going to be coming up later. Their theme song is amer- amazing. It's got a very repetitive chorus where uh, it just goes, American males, American males, American males, American males, American males. <laughs> uh, just constantly. 
it's really really aggravating yeah. i it seems like deliberately designed to piss you off which again is not a very baby face thing <laughs> right they're here to take on the blue bloods uh mm-hmm. lord steven regal and another guy who's called the earl of eaton but i didn't i'm not sure what his full name uh, was other it, than that it is uh bobby eaton oh bobby eaton that makes yes. perfect sense okay uh, but however uh bobby eaton kind of stumbles out from the back he's being attacked we never see lord steven regal i imagine that he's not even actually present at the show which is part of the reason it works this way. <laughs> Instead, out comes Harlem Heat, mm-hmm. who I had mentioned won the tag team titles the night before against Buckhouse Buck and Dirty Dick Slater. They come out and they challenge the American males to a match for the belts right here to kick off Nitro. They demanded it. It makes them look really stupid. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess I like the idea of a heel that's a fighting champion. Instead of one, uh, you know, the the chicken shit heel that never wants to defend the belt. Right. But it just seems such a weird heel move to attack a team to come out and insist that you defend your brand new titles. Mm-hmm. It it just seemed very strange to me. Yeah, and 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 uh, Bischoff kind of plays up this idea that since Nick Bockwinkle, the commissioner, right. is not in the arena, that anything goes. Well, sort of. Yes, but he. It, it's not so much that anything goes. He really is unclear if the title match can be sanctioned or not. Yeah. The idea seems to be, okay, these guys are fighting for the titles. They say that it's for the titles, but the announcers do not know if it is truly for the titles or not. Right. Um, so the match the match happens. It's pretty good, actually. I, I think Booker T is the star of this match. He hits a huge spinning heel kick. Mm-hmm. Um, at one point that I, I thought was real impressive. He gets a huge scissor kick, one of his trademark moves, of course. So uh, did you have anything special to say about the match? Um, it, it's very obvious when you start watching a Harlem Heat match that Booker T is a far superior athlete to Stevie Ray. Absolutely. Uh, it's it, it, Yeah, I mean, it's sort of – when I when I see – Harlem Heat together it sort of reminds me of like the Rockers mm-hmm. of how in every way I mean like Mario Gennetti was good but Shawn Michaels was just like that much better right and you felt like that things could just be his career could take off if he mm-hmm. got rid of the extra baggage mm-hmm. and for me I get the same feeling with Booker T because he I mean he's doing a lot of moves that like a lot of the wrestlers in WWE weren't even doing right and uh, he's he's insanely athletic yeah and I hate to be the guy who's like the black guy is the one who's the more athletic, but he Booker T is outstandingly athletic. Yeah. It's incredible to watch. I mean, then you tag in Stevie Ray and Stevie Ray is pretty much just kicking and stomping and punching his way through the match. So Bischoff had a moment on commentary that I really liked in this match. Uh, after Booker T's ax kick, he says that Booker T reminds him of fighter kickboxers. He's seen in K one competitions. Mm. And I really like this idea that Bischoff has on commentary where he'll, routinely mention other countries and other organizations and fighting promotions and MMA and all those things, it makes it seem a lot more like this is a legitimate sport. Yeah. And WWF at the time was turning into a very cartoonish product. And Bischoff has said numerous times in interviews that he was trying to go after the 18 to 39 uh, male demographic. So he was, he was approaching this more as an adult product as a legitimate sport with reality-based storylines. Mm-hmm. And so connecting the world of professional wrestling with these other similar real-life sports like kickboxing, yeah. I think that's a slam dunk. I think that, And you can see in 2015 where Brock Lesnar, 
they don't let a show go by without mentioning that he was a UFC champion mm-hmm. because it makes him seem more legitimate. Yeah. So the echoes of Bischoff's decision to go that direction are still being felt today, 20 years later. Another Booker T moment in this match that I loved is Scotty Riggs goes for a sunset flip and it's over near the Harlem Heat's corner and Booker T comically wa- flails his arms as he's falling backwards just really, really makes a big theatrical show of it. Yeah. And then as he falls back, he tags in Stevie Ray. And it was just it was just a nice touch. It was a really <laughs> I really enjoyed that moment. Uh this match continues until eventually Colonel Robert Parker comes out. He's a he's a old Southern sort of plantation owner style character who was originally Harlem Heat's manager. Um, but at this point they're managed by Sister Sherry, formerly Sensational Sherry from WWF. Uh, yeah, um, Colonel Robert Parker was managing Buckhouse Buck and Dirty Dick Slater. At this point. Yeah. But he didn't he introduce Harlem Heat into WCW? I think so, because the famous story is they originally wanted him to be their manager and for them to come out in chains. Oh. And people were like, won't that just imply that they're his slaves? <laughs> and I think the idea never actually made it <laughs> yeah. past the planning stages. Okay, yeah. So no, Sister it, Sherry, she's she's up. She's going to interfere in the match, which she did uh, the night before at Fall Brawl. Um, but instead, she sees Colonel Robert Parker, who has been wooing her, and she falls into his arms. Mm-hmm. This provides a distraction. Um, she basically she doesn't cheat, uh, but it doesn't. The match doesn't just end there. Booker then decides to try to hit a pump handle slam on Buff Bagwell, who reverses it into a pin. And without Sherry there to perform her nefarious shenanigans, uh, the American males pull the surprise win and take the tag titles off of Harlem Heat after uh, their one-day reign. Yep, and so that that goes down. It's the first title change we've seen on Monday Nitro. So yeah. uh, Marcus Alexander Bagwell and Scotty Riggs go down in the trivia history books. And it really... Uh, it shows that Nitro is a show where anything can happen. It really hammers home uh, what Bischoff was trying to accomplish was unpredictability, spontaneity, anything can happen type atmosphere. Yeah. And a very, very f- new, fresh tag team. The American males have not been around for very long no. at this point. So for them to pull off a surprise win over a team like Harlem Heat, that's that's very spontaneous. It's certainly unexpected. Yeah. Uh, I don't know that I love it because I think Harlem Heat is a really superior team to the American males. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I like the idea that you're putting it out there that anything can happen on your show. The announcers uh, sell the uncertainty of the finish of the match. They once again are saying, we're going to have to wait until Saturday night when the commissioner's here to see if that that title change is valid or not. Right. So I guess we're going to have to find out next Monday who indeed the tag team champions are. Because they certainly could just be doing an angle where it makes it look like an exciting title change. Mm-hmm. But on Saturday night, the titles go back to Harlem Heat. I really have no idea how that plays out. But we will let you, the listener, know next week. That is <laughs> 20 years of Nitro promise to you. <laughs> we go to commercial. Uh, and I like that the WWE Network keeps the Slim Jim commercials. So it actually feels like a real commercial break because I have Macho Man screaming at me yeah. uh, to snap into a Slim Jim. <laughs> After the commercial... We get a fantastic Ric Flair promo, uh, promo on Arn Anderson and the events that transpired at Fall Brawl with Brian Pillman interfering in their match. Uh, and that promo is provided here in its entirety. Later tonight, Nature Boy, right here on Monday Nitro. 
You're going to be facing Flying Brian Pillman. Then let's go back to last night at Fall Brawl. You had to be disappointed in what happened. Was there a collaboration between Pillman and your opponent, Arn Anderson? Meeting. He broke the code. The enforcer, the great bad enforcer, broke the code. It was okay to feud amongst ourselves. But you brought an outsider in to the forbidden land. We're the horsemen. Remember? The symbol of excellence. You're the enforcer. I'm a nation boy. We were going to settle it within the family. But now you broke the code twice. You brought the behind the scenes family up front and you brought an outsider into the ball game. Woo! Bad idea. Brian Pillman, you former great football player with the Cincinnati Bengals, tonight I'm gonna chop you so hard that Boomer Esiason will feel it in Long Island. And then Double A. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> right here in Johnson City, Tennessee. I'm gonna find you and I'm gonna kick your ass, brother. Whoa, 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 whoa. I don't know what to make of it, but it should be so Dave, what did you think of that promo? It is a really good promo. Uh, I, again, I so, like some of the motivation of Ric Flair being upset with Arn Anderson. Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem very legitimate. Sure, it, like he he doesn't directly say what. Well, bring in the outsider right. was like breaking the code, but you still get the idea that Ric Flair is like, listen, you were part of the Four Horsemen, right? That's our thing, and the thing has always been like you been, like my right hand man, my my second in command. Uh, and, and I I wish they m- would have played it up a little bit more. This idea that Arn Anderson was like, I'm I'm gonna look upon myself as like your equal now. Mm-hmm. I I think that that's kind of what they were insinuating that he didn't want to just be assisting Ric Flair that he's gonna go out on his own. Right. But just they. Sort of, kind of danced around not directly saying that, which I thought was kind of unfortunate. Mm. But uh, it's good that uh, that right away that uh, Brian Pillman for turning turning and attack you, Flair. That he's going to get this match with Flair right away, right? You know, yep. Uh, to make sure that he is he's thrust into this story. I love this promo. I think that Flair really knocked it out of the park last week with this promo, and here he is. In almost the exact same spot on the show, mm-hmm. um, cutting another fantastic promo. He looks great in the black uh, uh, robe that he's got on with the butterflies on it. He, It's just, he's a delight this week. And it's really been fun for me to see these moments because when I was growing up and I thought that WCW was so inferior to WWF, mm-hmm. I really could not stand Ric Flair because he was kind of, to me, uh, their their biggest name that i could think of i mean they had sting and i was aware of sting yeah but i associated them with flair and to me flair seemed old even in like 1993 94 you know yeah um and somehow hogan with his bald head seemed younger to me right. just because he was you know juiced up beyond all recognition yeah. of what humans look like yeah well i think a lot of people 
that think of WCW, think about the fact that it came from the NWA. Right. And, and I, fair or not, even by the 90s, NWA sounds like old-fashioned right. wrestling. And Ric Flair was like the NWA's guy for a long time. So but so by the time we have WCW, it's like Ric Flair, he represents like the older, older school. And, right. And maybe that's not as cool. But then now you see him on Monday Nitro. People are getting to, uh, to hear his promos more often. And you realize that he's just – he's like right on top of his game still. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I haven't been blown away by his matches, his one with Sting on the premiere and his one with Pillman tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like – and I think this is a knock. Either Brett or Mick Foley – or both, because <laughs> both of them have Could've had beefs with him, yeah. have basically said that Flair had the exact same match mm-hmm. every single night. And that certainly has been true for most of the Flair matches I've seen. Yeah. Um, but his promos and his charisma are off the charts incredible. Yeah. He comes out in this promo with such intensity. Uh, and I, I love that he gets in his, catch, his, his catchphrase, woo, or his, his uh, typical woo in this promo, but it's with like an angry intensity. He makes he yeah. makes yelling "woo" at the crowd sound like a threat. Right. And I just I really really liked it. I yeah. I have just a fantastic promo, and I was really really impressed with Ric Flair. Yeah. Uh, one thing that might be going against like Ric Flair's performance in the ring is the fact that he is uh, traditionally he has had really lengthy time to wrestle. Uh, really well known for having sixty minute draws like all over the country. Yeah. And and maybe. Maybe the fact that he only has four or five minutes, he's not as equipped to tell like a story in the ring. That very well could be, yeah. That's um, a good point. And, and maybe when when they're doing that, and he's like getting all the traditional Ric Flair spots in, it maybe it, it could feel kind of like a, a caricature of what our typical Ric Flair match is. So we get a little promo here for WCW Saturday night, and we're told that on Saturday night they hope to have an update on Hulk Hogan's condition. So it seems like we're not going to be hearing tonight if he's still alive <laughs> or not, um, and we're not going to be seeing him. He's not in the building this particular week. And then we're right off to the races for our next match. It is Johnny B. Bad versus Paul Orndorff. Uh, Johnny B. Bad, we've already mentioned, is Mark Miro. Mm-hmm. And Paul Orndorff is a holdover from a long, long time ago. He was in the friggin' WrestleMania one main event. Right. Um, kind of a big bodybuilder type. However, at this point, he has his tiny arm. Uh, yeah. He had had an arm injury and a neck injury when he was still in WWF feuding with Hulk Hogan. And because he was in a lucrative program with Hogan, he didn't want to take the time off to heal that he needed to. And he caused permanent nerve damage. Uh, so that he ended up taking about a year and a half, two years off of wrestling uh, and then decided he wanted to get back in and he was able to get his body back into pretty incredible shape. But that one arm, would ju- it just looked like a withered old man's arm for the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. So it's this really strange thing with this big bodybuilder looking guy with a skinny, weird little arm. It's really, really weird to look at. Yeah. And and like we mentioned before, from the night before, Giant Bad is now the number one contender for the United States title. Yep. And and they mentioned before the match because he wrestled Pillman in a match that was about a half hour long, wondering if he's ready for a match right away. Yep. And Orndorff himself also had a segment on Fall Brawl. It wasn't a match. 
it was a very bizarre segment where he uh, had he must have been doing some kind of angle that we haven't seen on Nitro. So it must have been on Saturday night where he had lost his confidence. Yeah. Um, but he's in this backstage segment where Gary Spivey of the <laughs> Psychic Friends Network, uh, which was a hotline you could call for psychic readings in the 90s. Uh, he sort of appears and tells Paul Orndorff that he truly is Mr. Wonderful. Uh, and this reinvigorates Orndorff's confidence. He once again believes that he's wonderful. And he comes out to the match uh, tonight, debuting his brand new music, which is truly incredible. Yes. It's, it features both the uh, male and female vocalist, just this over-the-top, overwrought singing, singing about how wonderful he is in this operatic style. Uh, I'm definitely going to play that song for you right now. shit that was incredible (laughs) that was really so he comes out he takes his goddamn time getting into the ring really and maybe it's just because it's the first time this music is debuted and he's been told to play it up you gotta milk it uh so he he is just really sauntering and looking Mm -hmm. himself in the mirror the whole time the announcers mongo and bischoff are talking about how terrible it is whereas bobby kind of likes it yeah (laughs) (laughs) because that's what bobby keenan does Johnny B. Bad comes out with a real cool sequined robe that's got flames on it, and it says uh, spells out on the back, when you're hot, you're hot. And he's got like a big glitter kind of gun that he always has that shoots out streamers and glitter over the audience confetti. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool. He also, and I always thought this was really lame about Johnny B. Bad, he just brings some Frisbees to throw to the crowd. Yeah. I always just thought. He's pandering. It's, that's pandering. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> it's a fucking T-shirt gun. It's just getting people to cheer because everyone yeah. wants free shit. Yeah. If you've. And he doesn't need it because, like I said, he's he's really over with the crowd. It's shocking for anyone who's only seen, like, Attitude Era, WWF, Mark Marrow. Yeah. To, to see how over he is and how, mm. like I said, how good he is. Yeah. He's wrestling a different style here. In WWF, he tried to play up that he was a former Golden Gloves boxer, which is true. Yes. Um, but he kind of did a more ground-based boxing style, I guess. Whereas here, he's more of a high flyer. And he, he's pretty good at it. So I don't know uh, why they decided to change that up, but it was really to the detriment of his career. He also has stitches over his eye from his match with Pillman last night. So he's out there performing with, I think they said, like six stitches over one of his eyes. So that's, uh, you know, that's impressive, playing through the pain. Mm-hmm. So we get a pretty standard match um, considering that one of the competitors is in his like mid-40s and has a skinny weird little arm <laughs> i can't get over it i'm sorry <laughs> uh johnny b bad does several top rope double axe handles which i think is my least favorite move in wrestling 
Yeah. Just holding one of your hands with your other hand and then landing and hitting a guy in the back with it. It's really dumb. And and that that's the um isn't that typically known as the, like the famous move that Flair always is trying to go for? Yes, and we'll talk about that in his match because he actually, well, uh, spoiler alert, but he hits a few of them tonight, and it was yeah. really exciting. <laughs> I was really happy for that guy. <laughs> um, so they eventually in this match, they take turns doing uh, pile driver attempts reversed into back body drops. Paul Orndorff, back body drops, Johnny B. Bad, who reverses it into a sunset flip, but Orndorff, rather than falling backwards, he manages to hook Johnny B. Bad's arms into a cradle and gets the pin. Uh, so he gets a clean victory. Uh, a 45, whatever he, I mean, he's ancient, gets a win over a guy who just the night before was declared the number one contender for the U.S. title after a half-hour barn burner of a match. Yeah. And, and by clean win, this also means um, from the angle that we see it, both of his shoulders were not touching the mat. Yeah, that's true. It's a weird kind of thing because the announcers don't play that up. So I think that's just a botch. Yeah. So I think it's supposed to be a clean win. Yeah. But it actually isn't a clean win because the pin should not have been valid. Right. So it's <laughs> bad booking compounded <laughs> by bad wrestling. Yeah. It's just, I, I, I failed. To, I mean, they have a lot of wrestlers. Why couldn't someone else have faced Paul Orndorff in his return that wasn't a number one contender from the night before. Right. Yeah. I get that you, you're kind of repackaging him a little bit and you want to reintroduce him and give him a win. Mm -hmm. you, like you said, there's a thousand guys that could have been out there doing that. Alex Wright could have yeah. been doing that. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it really doesn't make any sense. And with Alex Wright, you could say, well, this kid's still young. He's got a future. He just, uh, a wily vet, you Crafty. know, Crafty yeah, vet. He, yeah. Cause a sunset flip into a cradle is kind of a veteran move. You easily could have sold that story. Yeah. So it's it's really a poor decision. We now go to um, a yes. video from... <laughs> we're told that this happened between takes on the filming of an episode of Baywatch <laughs> that uh, Macho Man and Ric Flair were appearing on. <laughs> because, because between takes... Randy Savage is on the bench. He, right. He's, he's lifting weights. Yeah. So this is between takes and just out on the beach, there's a weight bench, as as you do. And Macho Man is pumping some iron. Um, it looks like it's probably fake weights. I don't know. It looks because it's a lot of weight and he's just very casual. Mm -hmm. And that dastardly taskmaster comes out of yeah. nowhere wearing, uh, if I remember right, is he wearing a Speedo and a jacket? something like I th that yeah. uh anyway he comes and he starts trying to choke macho by pushing mm -hmm. the, the barbell down uh, across his throat this brings out rick flair and a couple of the guys who play lifeguards <laughs> not hasselhoff unfortunately <laughs> no. he couldn't be bothered no. for this segment and also when randy savage is lifting lifting the weights uh a bunch of the baywatch girls are watching yeah and when uh kevin sullivan attacks at least one of them is laughing over the scenario. Oh, I didn't see that. <laughs> oh, no, right away. I'm like, I'm sure they have no, they don't know what they're supposed to do. Yeah. One of the blind girls is just like laughing about the situation. She's lucky macho didn't macho didn't slap her. Like you did uh Tori Wilson about five years after this. Nice, nice, nice reference. <laughs> well, it's, uh, it's in the, all the botcha mania videos. There, oh, show that, okay. So. <laughs> So now we're uh, in the ring with Mean Gene, who introduces Macho to come out. And Macho uh, does a little promo here. He starts off by talking about how he doesn't need Flair's help and he doesn't want it and he doesn't like Flair, which actually draws some booze because we are in uh, Tennessee and that's yeah. that's Flair country. Mm -hmm. So Macho, the face, is not really 
he does not get a pop for being against Flair. He gets he draws some booze. He then uh, moves on to talking about how he wants to beat the Taskmaster before finally being asked by me and Gene about Lex Luger. Uh, there was a miscommunication spot in the fall brawl match where Luger accidentally hit Macho. Looked pretty clear to be an accident to mm-hmm. everyone except for the paranoid Macho Man character. And he's always been a paranoid character, so that makes sense. Right. Um, so what's clear to everyone except for Macho is also unclear to one other person, and that's Steve Mongo McMichael, who <laughs> says that he was watching the show with some of his football friends. Right. Um, including uh, Mike Singletary, I think he says, <laughs> and that it was very clear to all of them that it was a cheap shot, which yeah. just, again, reinforces the notion that no one's telling Mongo what the storylines are actually supposed <laughs> to be because it was very clearly not a cheap shot. Lex did not just heal off and turn in the match. Uh, so Mongo just has no fucking clue. He, <laughs> I think he just hears what a face, a baby face is saying and assumes that he's supposed to agree with that. Right. Even when it conflicts with what other baby faces might be saying. Right. <laughs> it just... He has no <laughs> cognizance of the overall storyline at large. Um, but here I'm going to play a clip because at this point he starts talking about Lex. Lex comes out and the two have a straight up contest for who can say the most words uh, while making the least amount of sense. Let's go back very quickly to last night. Fall brawl of the war games. The Hulkamaniacs victorious over the Dungeon of Doom, but apparently some dissension. Listen, I don't know if Hulk Hogan's in a hospital right now. I don't know if he's licking his wounds at home, but I also know one thing, bottom line, that the strong survive and nobody's stronger than Hulk Hogan. But I got to tell you something, Hulkster. You're probably watching live Nitro right now through your video scope. You, constructive criticism, are a horrible judge of character, brother. I mean, you're really, really, really bad. Lex Luger, he had a personal agenda, and he cheats out of me at War Games, just like I told you. Wait a minute now. I talked to many of the wrestlers who happen to be watching that match, and they contend that that cheap shot, as you call it, was totally unintentional. Who'd you ask? I asked a lot of... No, you asked Jimmy Hart. Did you ask Sting? That's Lex Luger's best friend. You gotta understand one thing. I'm drawing a line in the sand. You're either with me or you're against me. And if you're with me, it's going to be really, really cool. Fasten your seatbelt. It's going to be a bumpy, bumpy ride. But I'm predicting that the next time they have a Dungeon of Doom, they're going to have three new members. Lex Luger, Sting, and Jimmy Hart. In fact, there's one of them. This is not the 4th of July, but we may be seeing some fireworks here. Hey, wait a minute, gentlemen, please, a little decorum. We're on the air live. You heard the action. Joe man, it seems you're making some pretty strong statements out here about personal agendas. Come on, talk to me, brother. And you know, I gotta stick to myself. Why is the macho man Randy Savage so wound up? Could it be jealousy? What about it? Could it be that just maybe do you deny or confirm that you also, I'm straight up with it, do you also want to be the WCW World Heavyweight Champion? Doesn't that also qualify you for having a personal agenda? I got the guts to tell you right now, 
and looked you in the eye that you got a very good point right there. I do have aspirations about being the world champion. Listen to me. And you can bet everything that you got and everything that you haven't got that I will be the world champion. But just like I got the guts to tell you that you're telling me the truth, I want to tell you something right now. I want to ask you something. No. Bottom line, you cheap shot at me at war games. Is that right? That's right, hey, brother. Hey, 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 please. Well, you see what we have an example of here? A prime example, macho man, because you see, I've said it before. I'll say it again. All right. Well, my two favorite uh, moments in that clip are first when Lex comes out and uh, Macho basically asks him what he's doing. And Lex, Lex says, you want to talk about personal agendas? And then just stands there without saying anything. And Macho just goes, all right, well, talk to me, brother. <laughs> it, I think Lex just fucking blanked out and forgot what he was going to say next or forgot that he had just set himself up to talk more. He thought that was something that needed responding to. So Macho Man had to remind him to speak. <laughs> My other favorite uh, moment of that clip, and this is, a, this is an exact quote. I wrote this down. This is something that Lex says. Could it be that just maybe you deny or confirm you also, I'm straight up with it. Do you also want to be the WCW World Heavyweight Champion? <laughs> Lex Luger, what the fuck are you talking about? Why did the WWF let him go? Well, I will never know. <laughs> Ma Macho Man also uh, pats himself on the back for having the guts to tell Luger that he thinks Luger's telling the truth. <laughs> he, like, congratulates himself. <laughs> this moment is so terrible and hilarious. <laughs> oh. It's really, really kind of sad to see as someone who considers Macho Man one of the all-time legends and one of my top, like, three wrestlers of all time. Yeah. In his later years, he really kind of became a parody of himself, and right. it's hilarious and but unfortunate at the same time <laughs> it's if you love macho man and you haven't watched his wcw run just don't don't yeah. do it because it's sad <laughs> anyway these two start getting angry with each other it gets physical and uh, we go to commercial just after macho kind of slaps lex and lex starts following him around mean gene calls for decorum uh which oh, years nice. later bad news barrett would also call for <laughs> uh and we go to commercial when we come back we've been told that security during commercial break, uh, cleared those two men from the ring. Uh -huh. So we're assured that we didn't miss any big physical confrontation between the two. Security, Doug Dillinger was in there uh, cleaning yeah. things up. Bobby Heenan didn't even, like, suggest that there was something? Oh, right. Yeah, something <laughs> off screen that we, right. the audience, yes. weren't privy to? No. <laughs> Not this time. <laughs> At this point, we get to see a video uh, that was from supposedly before the pay-per-view, which... <laughs> This video purports to be Hogan just sort of motorcycling around and spontaneously running into a group of fans who are really excited to see him. Uh, and for some reason, there's a camera there. This is all portrayed as if it's like a spontaneous moment that happens out on a highway somewhere. <laughs> it's like not outside the arena or anywhere. He's just on a highway. There's a bunch of fans. He has a motorcycle and the giant comes. And you know what he does, Dave? What, what does he do? He runs over hulk hogan's motorcycle with a monster truck <laughs> a dungeon of doom branded monster truck and if you think that that's not setting up a monster truck sumo match at halloween havoc 
you were mistaken, my friend. (laughs) (laughs) But we will have a lot to say about that in the weeks to come. (laughs) So let me get this straight. Uh, So the Giant. Yep. The biggest athlete, uh, like the biggest wrestler since Andre's heyday. Right. Once he shows up, and he and he can literally like destroy Hogan with his bare hands. Oh yeah, he can snap his neck. Somehow, for some reason, needs to use a monster truck to get his point across. He he spent hundreds of thousands of dollars commissioning a custom monster truck. <laughs> Apparently, and keep in mind, he doesn't know that that monster truck match that I referred to earlier, he doesn't know that that's going to happen. Right. He just did this just for this moment of wrecking a motorcycle. Yeah. He, he spent... He, the Dungeon of Doom, where are they getting the money? Are there <laughs> diamonds in the Dungeon of Doom? Is it also a mine of some kind? I I mean, <laughs> I would like to think that he used a monster truck to run over that motorcycle because he can't possibly fathom that Hulk Hogan could get a monster truck of his own. <laughs> it's 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 bizarre. Then we we get a recap video of Hogan's neck getting broken so that everyone that didn't order the pay-per-view can see just how terrible it truly was. Mm-hmm. So as we come back uh, to our announced team, Bischoff kind of closes that moment by saying that it was yesterday was truly a terrible day for Hulk Hogan. And at this point, Bobby Heenan gets this happy and wistful look in his eye. <laughs> that he's just he's just so pleased that yesterday was so terrible for Hulk Hogan. <laughs> and one thing I've always loved about the Heenan character was, of course, he's a heel commentator, but he had a special place uh, in his heart to hate Hulk Hogan. Like, he really, really hated Hulk Hogan more than yeah. he hated anything else. Yeah. Out now comes Brian Pillman for his main event match with Ric Flair. He is now fully in a heel persona. He's jaw-jacking with the crowd. Mm-hmm. Uh, so two weeks ago, I kind of referred to him as a tweener who in that pi- premiere episode was pretty much just playing a babyface. Yeah. Um, so in two weeks' time, it's it's been a very quick transition, culminating, as I said, in that uh, attack on Flair during the match last night with Arn Anderson. And not only that, uh, two weeks ago, I, I thought that he was pretty – he didn't seem like he had a whole lot of personality to offer. Yeah. And and I, I, didn't, I made a note of that during this match. I, I, re- I thought that he really displayed a lot of uh, good, like, in-ring personality. Yeah, he, he really always shined best when he was a heel, mm-hmm. um, whether it was the Hollywood Blondes or later with the Loose Cannon yeah. gimmick. Um, I just today, kind of for this, but kind of just for myself as well, I was watching the Brian Pillman documentary that WWE produced that's on the network, uh, and it's really good. I, I recommend it to anyone who wants to know more about Brian Pillman um, and see some of the cool stuff he did during the Loose Cannon days. And we'll certainly get to talk about the beginning of the Loose Cannon days because that sort of starts around January of 96 i believe yeah around there yep. so we'll we'll talk about that to come but yeah pillman definitely really livens up when he gets to be a heel he mm-hmm. seems to i think a lot of wrestlers enjoy being a heel more i think i would like being a heel more yeah um so yeah I, that makes sense that he gets to show more personality flair comes out and he gets a ton of cool sparks in his in his pyro it's a pretty cool entrance uh along with his great theme the the spake zarathustra is that how you say that the 2001 theme oh, yeah yeah <laughs> uh he comes out so this is this is a pretty good match we get flair starting off on offense with a lot of chops and kicks he hits as i said he hits a double axe handle off the top rope and actually this is to the outside 
So that's a pretty big jump for a man of Flair's age, yeah. even in 95. A man of Flair. That's, that's hard in the knees to jump from the top rope to the outside mm-hmm. and land on your feet. So I was, I was pretty impressed um, by that. He almost doesn't get to jump off the rope uh, because the goddamn ref, uh, and I mentioned this in the first episode and then I edited this part out, but there's a ref in WCW who I mentioned who always gets on the goddamn ropes. And he gets on the ropes and all, he gets in Flair's way. Nick Patrick? I don't think it's... I think it's the little guy. It might be Nick Patrick. I don't really remember in this match who the ref was. Okay. But uh, I wish I hadn't edited out that part of the first episode now because <laughs> this guy gets in the way of Ric Flair trying to do a, a pretty cool move. So WCW referees, you still fucking suck. You still... And, and to get back to our discussion in week one, uh, I figured out what kind of bothers me with the pin. They... They lie on their side, yeah, and that, and they kind of slap their hand lazily. It makes it look more like they're stretching out for a nap. Whereas in WWF, I've I've looked because I've been interested in this now. The refs are more in a like a three point stance with their knees and their hand on the ground, mm-hmm. and then their other hand doing the count. And it just looks a lot more forceful and purposeful, right? Um, so it's it's two contrasting styles, and I vastly prefer the refereeing style of the WWF referees. Yeah. No, I, I, I completely concur on that. Flair uh, comes off the top again later, and uh, Pillman at this point hits him with a drop kick, just like in the Jushin Liger match where he hit him with a drop kick as, as Liger came off the top rope. Pillman has probably the best drop kick in the business at this point in 95, I think. Uh, it's yeah. it's a remarkably good drop kick. The one to Flair, though, is a lot softer than the one on Liger. It does not... That oh, Liger sure. one was amazing. This one's a lot softer, but uh, but Flair is going to the top a lot in this match. Pillman uh, seizes control, beats up Flair on the outside, gets a lot of heel heat for the way he's beating him up at this point. Uh, Flair gets back in it with some chops, though, and drops Pillman on the guardrail outside. The announcers are really uh, selling how confused they are by Pillman's attitude change yeah when he does anything dirty bischoff is just selling that he's confused because pillman's so good he doesn't need to do this mm-hmm. pillman goes for a pin with his feet on the ropes and bischoff's just like i don't why is he doing that he doesn't need yeah. to he's so good yeah um so i, I don't know i kind of like that actually it the idea of of selling the heel as somebody who's so good he doesn't need to be a heel it just does it anyway you yeah. know i like that uh flair finally goes to the top rope one too many times and gets the classic flare uh, being thrown off the top rope spot. Happens every match, but it's it's an oldie but a goodie. Pillman at that point goes for a big splash on the prone flare, who rolls out of the way. Pillman at that point gets put in uh, the figure four, but he reverses it into a small package for two. And at this point, uh, there's a little more offense, but flare finally locks in the figure four. And Pillman taps after a pretty short amount of time. He does yeah, not. Yeah, it's like two seconds. Yeah, once he's yeah. locked in there, he he shows that move a lot of respect. Mm-hmm. And they talk in the Pillman documentary about when he first was transitioning from football to wrestling, rather than just be one of these guys who comes in and learns the basics so he can make some money. He threw himself into the study of the craft of wrestling, and Ric Flair was a guy that he watched a ton of. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was cool. Um, it gave this match some context to know that Pillman was in there with kind of a personal hero somebody that he looked up to yeah and also to bring it back a few moves uh when pillman goes for that splash as he's going up to the top flair is uh keeps sliding across the ring positioning himself right (laughs) it just 
when you when you notice it and you and you see someone doing that, it kind of like takes you out of the moment because yeah, it's like he's setting up for this. You know, he's gonna be moving out of the way then. Yeah, uh, it's just something that I caught and I was like, oh, because I thought he was he was close enough. But, mm-hmm. but it, I imagine that when you're when you're on the mat, it's kind of hard to gauge the distance. Another cool note on Pillman, uh, just while it's in my mind, because like I said, I watched that documentary. He, you know how his voice is uh, very raspy? Yeah. He, as a child, well, this was a com- uh, condition that he had his whole life. He had vocal polyps, mm-hmm. polyps that developed on his vocal cords. And so every few years, he would have to have major surgery to scrape his throat out. And it just did permanent damage to his voice. Um, but his sisters in the documentary say at various points, he was in the hospital for as long as six months and would spend weeks at a time in oxygen tents. Uh, and and very nearly died several times because those polyps, uh, if they got too big without being scraped out, they could actually affect his breathing. So oh, this okay. was, I mean, it's kind of incredible to know the number of odds that Brian Pillman overcame. And they also say that after each surgery, as a child, he would have to go weeks at a time without speaking uh, to avoid doing oh. like more permanent damage to yeah. anything. So that's incredible for a guy who gets as good as he is at speaking mm-hmm. in wrestling. Uh, it's, it's just a fascinating look in, into his past. So I would really recommend checking out that documentary if you have time after beating Pillman flair cuts another short little promo on R and he, he calls him out and says that he wants to kick his ass. Uh, he, he then says when Arn doesn't come out, he says, okay, well, I'll kick your ass next week. Uh, so we'll see you next week. If Ric Flair kicks Arn Anderson's ass, that's <laughs> a, a cliffhanger to look forward to. Yeah. Announcers hype that confrontation next week and say that they're going to confirm uh, for sure. They're they're going to confirm on Saturday night if the tag titles really have switched hands. Yeah. So that's kind of our promo for Saturday. Uh, if you want to watch Saturday, it's to find out, A, if Hulk Hogan's neck is broken, mm-hmm. and B, to see if the American males really are the tag team champions. Both of equal importance. Uh, at this point, we get what is the most bizarre running gag on Nitro, where uh, as – as Bischoff is just kind of wrapping up the show, Bobby says, there's something going on in back. And Bischoff says, uh, well, hell, why don't I just play the clip? Thanks for joining us on the most watched wrestling program anywhere we are live every week on TNT. Something's we'll going on in the back. Something is going on in the back. And next week, there'll be something going on here, right here, Monday Nitro TNT. We're going to have the TNT debut of the Disco Inferno as he locks up with Alex Wright. Colonel Rob Parker will be here with his warrior, Japanese warrior, Curacao, and the Macho Man, Randy Savage, gets his shot at the Taskmaster. And who knows what's going to happen there? Unbelievable. So there you have it. Once again, uh, yeah. Bobby is referred to something that we, the audience, don't get to see and is just kind of no-sold by everyone and we never find out. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have any theories on what's going on? Are they ribbing Bobby? Is he ribbing us? Um, I, w- I would think that either he finds us as like kind of a funny little thing you put in at the very end. Yeah. Or my other thought was that he it's a way for him to make it look like, hey, even though Nitro ends, like there's still action going on. There's sure. always something going on. That's why you need to tune in every week, that sort of thing. But I don't know, feeling like the personality of Bobby Heenan, it's it's more like that's just something that he thinks is funny. I'm really, really looking forward to week four 
uh, to find out right. if, <laughs> right? if it happens again. Because for three episodes in a row, yeah. for him to get really excited about something and then have nothing happen or yeah. for have something to maybe happen that we don't get to see. Right. I mean, that's incredible to have it three shows in a row. The first three episodes of the show. I, it, if it's not a bit, if it's not a purposeful bit, if it's just them, uh, if it's him making mistakes or them... Uh, forgetting to tell him that a segment got cut for time or something. Right. That'd be pretty incredible if it was yeah. just coincidence. In our Raw report for this week, the 1-2-3 kid defeated Razor Ramon with the help of Dean Douglas. Tatanka and Kama won over Savio Vega and Bob Sparkplug Holly. Jean-Pierre Lafitte defeated Local Jobber. And Yokozuna and Owen Hart defeated Men on a Mission. You'll notice that we didn't mention any spoilers this week because Bischoff didn't give us any. So, again, his strategy seems to change week to week over whether he's going to directly attack Raw or if it's just going to be a focus on WCW. I felt like this was a pretty uh, attack-free episode. Yes, absolutely. Um, But speaking of, of things to reference, so far in the three weeks of Nitro, you feel like that they're only hyping up Nitro and not the pay-per-view. Right. The pay-per-view, even even Saturday night, gets a lot more coverage on Nitro. Than yeah, I don't think in this entire episode they mention Halloween Havoc, which is their next pay-per-view. I don't think it's mentioned a single time. Yeah, I mean, that that's like, that's towards the end of October, so it's more it's like six weeks away, something oh, okay. like that. Okay. So it, that's still a ways away. But um, like we said last week, the pay-per-view was coming up, and they did mention, like you said, the two matches, uh, the, the Flair Arn Anderson mm-hmm. and the War Games match. Those two matches were talked about tonight, mm-hmm. uh, the night after. There were other matches, too, but they barely mentioned. I, I think they mentioned Johnny B. Bad beating Brian Pillman to be they, the contender. They must have, but I don't remember them doing it. So I'm not saying they didn't, but it didn't stick out in my mind. They certainly didn't make a big deal out of him being the number one contender right. for Sting's U.S. title. Yeah. And and as far as I, the other matches that you mentioned, I, I don't think they referenced any of those other matches. It's also funny that DDP has def- is now our television title holder, having won it from the Renegade. Right. And we have not even heard mention of the television title in <laughs> three weeks of Nitro's premier television show. <laughs> right. In our ratings report, Raw this week uh, edged out a narrow win with a 2.5 to Nitro's 2.4. Uh-oh. But an interesting note to add on to that that could give um, Bischoff still a lot of um, positive vibes is that Nitro had a replay at this point and Raw didn't. And Nitro's replay drew a 1.0. Oh. So in terms of total viewers, mm-hmm. Nitro, if you include the replay, they won with more viewers. Um, but in the head-to-head portion, Raw did eke out a victory. So uh, Raw kind of won this week, but I think Bischoff could easily, and especially Bischoff, who could sell uh, the, a thing to a person that that thing would typically be hard to sell that object to. <laughs> uh, Bischoff could easily spin this as a, a victory for WCW. And it, you, it, it's probably not even spin. It probably is legitimately you could look at that as a victory, especially for a show in its third week. Yeah, and, and and the thing is, when you're considering the ratings head-to-head, yeah. you have no idea how many of those numbers can be a wash for people that switch over. Right. The thing They can look at the replay of the 1.0 and say, those are all people that probably initially watched Raw, mm-hmm. 
but wanted to check us out. So those could potentially be new viewers. Right. So that, I mean, 1.0 for a replay, that sounds pretty high. And it's uh, interesting to note, we talked a bit in the first episode about how people were panicked in the industry that having these shows go head-to-head was going to split the audience and ruin both companies. Yeah. But if you look, these numbers didn't really dig into Raw's audience very Mm -hmm. much. Raw's getting the same ratings that Raw typically got. Yeah. So I think what this shows, and we're only three weeks in, so it's probably too early to draw big conclusions, but it shows that it wasn't just that there was a huge pile of wrestling fans and that that number was finite. There were WCW fans and there were WWF fans. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't just that they were watching WWF because there was no other show. They were watching WWF because that's the show they liked. And now when Nitro's on, not a ton of people seem to be switching. It just seems that the WCW audience is now tuning in on Mondays. So that's an interesting... I think that was uh, probably... Uh, interesting for them all to find out at that point that these mm-hmm. brands actually had very specific loyalties and that the idea of just a wrestling audience that would just watch any wrestling that was on, that was sort of a mistaken belief. And, and we didn't know until there were two head-to-head programs. So Dave, who this week was your MVP? We'll go with MVP first and we'll do match the night second. Okay. I I feel like... This might be the first week that we agree. Um, this is just a guess. But my natural MVP this week is going to be the Nature Boy, Ric Flair. You're goddamn right it is. <laughs> <laughs> I could not agree with you more. That, I, I, I feel like with the other two weeks, this is this was the most like knockout victory MVP. Oh, absolutely. So far. Uh, Ric Flair gave a great promo. Uh, really, uh, in, since he had... Since he had a main event match and he won and he had a promo, he basically reasserted himself Mm -hmm. as being like he's an important factor in WCW. His feud with Arn Anderson is like a main event feud because right after his main event match, he's waiting to try to get Arn Anderson to come out and fight him. So uh, Ric Flair really, I feel like his uh, WCW stock went skyrocketed from this one. So Yeah, this is two weeks in a row with great promos. The match was good. I am all about the nature boy right now. What was your match of the night? And playing off of that, I would say that Brian Pillman versus Ric Flair was the match of the night. Um, it w- yeah, it was like it was really good. I felt like it could, they could have given them a lot more time, but yeah, uh, I mean, really, they want to have a, a decent amount of matches in one hour and also get in all the storylines. So they only had four or five minutes, but you got like a whole gamut of a heel face and and. Uh, yeah, I would say Brian Pillman versus Nature Boy Flair was definitely the match of the night. I concur. I don't really have anything to add on that. I think you summed it up nicely. Uh, just to summarize this show, I really liked this episode. I thought that it moved really quickly. I wasn't bored. Um, part of that was because there was just a shitload of stuff happening. Mm-hmm. And that probably is to the detriment of a long quality match. You know, three less things could have happened. And that Flair Pillman match could have been longer. Yeah. But overall, I really liked the way that this show moved at a very at a nice clip. It was a it really shows how an hour long wrestling show can be so much more watchable than a three hour slog. Yeah. Um, that that Raw has become these days. Yeah, and and I think this one probably played a lot better since it wasn't. Uh, Shows that seem to be kind of dragging on to, okay, when are we going to finally have Hogan on? Yep. 
when's when's the Hogan thing going to happen? Because that's what the first two episodes kind of felt like. Whereas this one didn't have that focus on Hogan, and so it, it gave it was first chance for someone besides Hulk Hogan to really kind of take over uh, the majority of the show. This time it was Ric Flair, and Ric Flair just yeah yeah he did. I mean, he had MVP performance. All right. Well, next week we're going to be back on 20 Years of Nitro for an episode that contains Alex Wright versus Disco Inferno, who will be making his podcast debut. Colonel Robert Parker is going to debut a new Japanese client in Kurosawa. And the Macho Man is going to take on the Taskmaster. Uh, And in an exciting cliffhanger, when they're promoting next week's Nitro, they show a slide or like a promo image of Lex Luger versus Meng. Mm -hmm. But Bischoff doesn't mention it. (laughs) So my exciting uh, cliffhanger is if that match is going to take place or not. Because I really have no goddamn idea. Not only that, but Meng is wearing like some sort of giant bear head. Oh, yeah. It looks pretty sweet. Yeah. And uh, And I'm really (laughs) excited to see it on the show. And and if... If you didn't know, it's supposed to be against Ming, and they just had the slide where it looks like Luger's had to face some sort of bear monster. <laughs> that would have been an amazing. What is Lex Luger fighting next week? So, if you want to see Lex Luger versus a bear monster, you can join us next week where the big boys play on uh, 20 20- years.